This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Robert O'Reilly. My name is Gowron. Honor to you and your house. You're listening to Trek FM. P.O. Grey Hot. Welcome to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Justin Ozer. Amy is away this week, but join with me today is Joe Keegan. Joe, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm abs- absolutely terrible, Justin. Um, life's not worth living, and I want to throw my sewing machine and all my fabric on a bonfire and blow the planet up. It's mm. very stressful when you decide to make eight different costumes for Star Trek Las Vegas, and you've not even finished one yet, and you've got a week to go. <sighs> mm. See, for a second, I thought you were hinting a little bit at what we'll be talking about today, but the, this has gotten pretty dire. Do you really feel that way? No, it's just cause <laughs> I've only been I've only been sewing for like a year. Like last summer, I decided to teach myself, um, but doing Discovery uniforms. Mm-hmm. It's just they're overly engineered and impossible to get right easily. So, yeah, I'm a bit stressed out. I feel like I'm work living in a Chinese sweatshop. Wow. Okay. Fair well, on. <laughs> but otherwise, I'm chipper and <laughs> excited great. to be here. Yeah. 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 All right. Well. One of the things that we wanted to do, as we've done the last couple of weeks, is just a reminder, listeners, if you put a review in iTunes between now and August 31st, we will enter you in a contest to win some great Star Trek collectible cards provided by associate producer Chris Trebuzio. So we've gotten some reviews in. Please submit your review if you haven't done so already. And we'd just love to have your feedback and enter you into that contest. So if you do a written review between now and August 31st, um, a written review and some a star rating, you can mm-hmm. be up for a chance to win these amazing collectible cards. Yeah, that's an exciting opportunity. So as people have been listening to our podcast, Earl Grey, all over the world, um, we discovered a couple of weeks ago that we can have access to the reviews from Apple Podcasts all over the world. So, interestingly, if you listened a few weeks ago, we discovered that we were number 18 in the Apple Podcasts for film and TV in the Czech Republic. So I, um, strangely, decided to give a, a Czech shout-out to everybody in the Czech Republic. Um, this week we discovered um, for a very short time we were at number 21 in Hungary. 
And so I thought I'll be really have to start the tradition or continue the tradition and do a shout out in Hungarian. I found Hungarian super difficult um, and apologies if it doesn't translate as what we intend it to translate as. It's purely the fault of Google. So here goes nothing. You're a very brave man. Go ahead. Uh, I, <laughs> um, if there are death threats from Hungarian people after this, um, well, I apologize. I, I have to say, so we, we heard about that, that we were doing well in the Czech Republic, at least for a short time. But we didn't hear from any listeners in the Czech Republic. If you're in the Czech Republic, Hungary, you know, some country that where you're listening to us outside of, let's say, the United States. I know we do hear from listeners in Canada and the UK and Australia and all of that. Let us know that you're listening. We'd love to hear it. But go but, ahead, um, Joe. Go. See, see if um, you're from a country a non-majority um, English-speaking country, and you start listening, and please don't expect, depending on the difficulty of your <laughs> language, that I'm going to give you a shout-out every week. Um, so I'm just I, putting that I, out well, there. I expect it. So this should translate <laughs> as, hello to all our listeners in Hungary. Thanks for listening. Udvoslim a margirozagi halgatokat, koznem hog meghalgatak. Wow, Joe, I'm really impressed because I'm looking at that on our outline here. I don't know if I could have pronounced it nearly as well as you did or any attempt. What, so. uh, what are those two dots called? Are those umlauts? Uh, umlaut, yeah. Oh, that's some, why there are so many umlauts. There's <laughs> just lots of umlauts every, and some every, accents. Yeah, every second letter. It's I ridiculous. think, some, yeah, some of the words have three umlauts. It's quite impressive. Mm-hmm. But thank you, Joe. We really appreciate that. Shout out to our Hungarian listeners who hopefully will write to us and say they either appreciate it or can tell us what that really translated to. Or shout at me in Hungarian how I destroyed their language. (laughs) Anyway, let us know. (laughs) But thank you, Joe. I really appreciate that. And we'll see what other challenges we come up with in the coming weeks. (laughs) For me, I suppose, yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Justin. Hey, you volunteered. All right. So we do have some Babel Conference feedback for Earl Grey 283. That was our favorite Star Trek memorabilia. Now, we received quite an outpouring of response. There were many comments. I can't necessarily read them all. I would encourage you to go to the Babel Conference, search for Earl Grey 283, and you'll see all the great images and, and uh, discussion there. But we wanted to read out a couple of the comments. So, Joe, you want to start with the first one? Yeah, that was my favorite episode. That was my first hosting <laughs> challenge. Um, and it was just so much fun. Um, as Star Trek fans, it was just um, really good to get together and talk about our favorite favorite, favorite stuff that we've collected. It was fun, yeah. It was. So Paloma Bennett says, I really enjoyed hearing you talk about your Star Trek memorabilia. I have a Deanna Troy t-shirt like Amy. My other Star Trek shirts are a 30th anniversary Star Trek Next Gen Enterprise D and a Discovery 1-2. I also have three starships, the Enterprise D, Enterprise B and a Klingon Bird of Prey, a Deanna Troy vinyl pop and a Star Trek charm bracelet. I love hearing about all these little things that people have that I've Mm -hmm. never... I don't... Honestly, don't know what a Deanna Troy vinyl pop is. Oh, yes. Yeah, so it's, if I remember right, it's kind of those little, is it the Funko Pop figures? The the little figures with kind of the big heads. I don't know if you Are they like the wee bobblehead things? That Not a bobblehead, no. but it's kind of, I don't even know how to describe it. Just, I, I think this is, might be the Funko Pop thing, but okay. um, it, they're, they're, they're fun. But yeah, Paloma also shared some uh, images of her collection that she described. So, yeah, thank you for sharing that. It's just wonderful to hear about all this stuff. There's so much Star Trek memorabilia, isn't there? 
Oh, it's, there's so much um, as well. I think I like the fact that she's talking about the Eagle Moss collection, possibly. For the starships, um, yeah. The starships, Enterprise DB, and mm-hmm. the Klingon Bird of Prey. I have all of them, and consequently have no space. You have all of them in like two hundred more. It seems like. The, yeah, the, the, <laughs> I think they multiply in the night. They're like triples, yeah. Yeah. So Chris Trebuzio says, with the exception of my yearly Christmas Trek Hallmark ornaments I get as gifts, the Trek stuff that I have, I bought myself. That being said, I think the most memorable gift I have been given is Trek fandom. This fandom has given me the blessed opportunity to talk with, listen to, podcast with, meet, and interact yearly with many other fans. Well, thank you, Chris. That's such a wonderful, beautiful sentiment to, you know, take our topic about memorabilia and say the greatest gift is Trek fandom itself. It's, um, it's, it's amazing, <laughs> and, and we're so glad to to be able to contribute a little bit to that with the podcast. And I think Chris is talking about meeting people at STLB every year, which is pretty amazing. I think that's a really important point that we kind of always forget about. It's possibly the best thing about being a Star Trek fan and a reason why for the third year running, we're going to STLV again. Um, The more you go, the less is about um, meeting the guests that are there or wandering around the vendor's room for the 300th time that day. It's about the people that you meet, the other fans and the interactions that you have, and the fact that um, you can go back every year and see the same people. And we're coming from Scotland, so it's a big trip for us. Um, yeah. I'm coming to see Amy Nelson again, who's one of my most favourite people in the entire world. So you're not coming to, to see me? Um, I'm coming to meet you, Justin. That's an <laughs> okay. entirely different thing. I know, I know. Amy's at a whole different level. Yep, that's that's fine. I'll, I'll got it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Christopher Wilman Bung, for my first category of Trek mem- memorabilia, I'll go with what I classify as tacky, or as Joe Keegan, that's me, would say naff. I have a Star Trek wallet and keychain that I use on a regular basis, and both are worn out enough to be important to me, but can easily be replaced. As for the snow globe, it's not bad in my opinion, but it's nothing I write home about. Lol. LLAP. We emoji. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say any of those are naff, Christopher. I think those are kind of cool. I have a. I think all of the Star Trek wallets you can buy are designed for US money, like US mm. note banknotes. Yeah. Our banknotes in the UK are a lot wider, and annoyingly, they stick out the top. Of and now yes, oh, yeah. I'm putting in the I'm putting them in landscape and not portrait, um, so yeah. And a snow globe, why snow globes are cool? There's nothing naff about a snow globe, either. Yeah, naff is in the eye of the beholder. Maybe this uh, is true. <laughs> it's that line that we talked about. It's the the dividing line between naff and a bit um, quirky and cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and I encourage listeners again to go to the Babel conference because that was just the first comment that uh, Christopher had. He had like lots of images, lots of different categories. He has tons of cool Trek memorabilia, so we think it's cool, Christopher. Not naff necessarily. Well, speaking of that, Tim Robertson says Trek garden gnomes are cool. So, so in that episode, uh, you said that you had this this garden gnome with Kirk and and the Gorn, and that was your yeah. NAF thing, but we did mm-hmm. say that Tim Robertson loves his garden gnome, so, you know, sure. it depends on how you think about it. True. Remember, I'm, I'm editing this episode, so I can edit <laughs> Tim Robertson out if I like. Um, I would won't. agree that Tim Robertson is cool, <laughs> but I will not agree with um, Trek garden gnomes being cool. Okay. 
have a respectful disagreement on that. Indeed. I think, I think they're kind of cool. All right, so let's get into the main part of the episode, and we're joined with a special guest, Pierre Larocco. Pierre, welcome to Earl Grey. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Um, you know, I've been listening for a long time, um, and I'm just, you know, I'm excited to be a part of it. Well, since this is your first time on Earl Grey, tell us about your history with Star Trek. So I I was born in the 80s, so TNG was kind of my, it was on um, television while I was growing up, and I watched TNG, um, watched DS9, um, not so much Voyager and Enterprise, but, you know, I kind of got into that later when I was an adult. Um, but and of course the TOS was always on on syndication on reruns and stuff. Um, so I just always remember watching it. I always remember um, really liking the idea of flying through space. Um, I owned a lot of the Playmates, um, the toys when I was a kid. I used to create my own adventures. Um, so that's kind of my history with it. And I just kind of I like the lessons. I like the the things that Trek teaches us and um, the stories that they tell. Okay, yeah, excellent. When we knew you were going to be a guest on Earl Grey, I provided you a list of different topics, and you picked out one in particular, which is to talk about Worf's brother, Kern. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about the different episodes that he's in and do kind of a character profile of Kern. So I'm curious why you wanted to talk about that topic. Um, I wanted to talk about Kern because Kern's connected to one of my favorite characters, Worf, um, because Worf kind of walks in two worlds which i always think is really interesting and neat and you can kind of get great stories out of that and great metaphors um i also think that i feel like kern and we'll, we'll get into this i'm sure kern started the the arc of Worf being of what kind of klingon Worf was going to be um and i feel like that was the start of it so i think it's a really important arc that kind of runs through two series and um and it's, he's a good character. Okay, excellent. Yeah, I really enjoy Kern and, and Worf as well. Joe, I know on a past episode you said that Klingons aren't your favorite thing, but uh, I'm, I'm just kind of curious. Maybe we'll change your mind to, to make you uh, like this a little bit more, but uh, I'm just curious about your kind of general thoughts about, about Kern starting off. Um, so I feel this is going to, that comment, that throwaway comment that I made is going to haunt me for the rest of my <laughs> life. Um, I think... When I I think I'm a little bit older than you, Pierre, um, born in the late seventies, and I I happened upon Star Trek um, after seeing the odd episode when I was really young of the original series, um, and I stumbled upon the Next Gen halfway through season three, and one of the first episodes I must have seen was Sins of the Father, and I think at the age I was at, um, it was just quite dark. And it was I didn't have that the kind of the bright positivity that I, I remember of Star Trek from being really young, and I think that's just gone through my life with me and kind of stuck. That any time a Klingon themed episode came on, um, I was about oh okay, it's going to be dark and it's going to focus on this monolithic culture where they're just warriors and a bit dull. So I've realised that this is my first time as co-host with a guest on, um, and I would like for us to have guests in future and not for anybody to be put off. So uh, while I'm being um, very welcoming to you, I um, it's your t- my challenge to you is to convince me that Klingons and Kern specifically are um, 
our characters in a species to be loved and revered. I mm. will say I'm not, I'm not going to take back ever the, the fact I think Tony Todd is utterly terrifying. <laughs> I, um, mean, I, I, I think, uh, Pierre, have you ever stood in your bathroom in the dead of night with the lights out and stared at the mirror and said, Tony Todd, three times? No, no, I have <laughs> not. He, he will appear. I'm quite convinced <laughs> of it. It's utterly terrifying. Interesting. All right. Well, I, I was just kind of curious to to expand on that. Uh, maybe we'll convince you. So we're going to talk about some different episodes that that Kern appeared in. So uh, there's several TNG episodes: uh, Sins of the Father, Redemption, Redemption Two, and we're also going to talk about a DS9 episode, Sons of Moog. So let's talk about Sins of the Father first. I think Pierre, that you're right. You know, Kern is appearing in this episode, important in Sins of the Father, and becomes important in kind of kicking off Worf's arc that kind of like goes all the way through TNG and into DS9. So I think what's interesting about this is you've seen Worf for a couple of seasons, you've seen who he is, and then you see Kern, who when you first see him is kind of like an even more intense version of Worf. And he's like this exchange officer. He's like, we will do these things. And there's even this this scene where he's saying that, you know, he's not going to kill Riker because he's on a Federation ship. I mean, like, really serious and intense. So I'm curious, Pierre, like, your thoughts on, on Kern in this episode and, like, how we're introduced to him and, and what you th- you think of his character from this episode specifically. So so my thoughts on Kern, they, they started with, wow, this guy's a crazy Klingon. Um, uh-huh. And then over the years, and, and then re-watching it for this podcast, I started thinking to myself, it, is he or did he specifically go to the Enterprise to, to see what kind of person Worf became? And, and is, are a lot of his comments where, where he, he's saying outrageous Klingon things, are they all to get a rise out of Worf? Um, so mm. like, almost like the idea that when, when they're having the turkey feast um, and, he's, yeah. and he's, like, he's really, really negative about the food and he's kind of like, well, our food isn't like this, and it 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 surprised me a little that Klingon never had like um like food from the Federation or something like that. So I was wondering, I'm like, is is it just an act to then get a rise out of Worf? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's an interesting question because I mean, I think it's clear that one of the reasons that Kern is there is because he wants to deliver this message to, to Worf about, you know, what's happening in, in the Empire and this this judgment for the Council, but maybe also to check up on him. But I don't know, like, I think they've also lived very separate lives with, with Kern, you know, living in the Empire his whole life. And I think back to, like, the season two episode of Matter of Honor, where Riker is an exchange officer on this Klingon ship. And there are Klingons there who have never, like, seen a human in person. So I get the feeling there are a lot of Klingons that haven't, let's say, you know, had Federation food, interacted with anybody from the Federation. So maybe it's it's possible. But, I mean, has he been just like isolated his whole life and you know has never seen Worf since they were separated i don't know it, it i think it's a really interesting question but like joe think, w- go ahead sorry i think that's the impression i got i was reading a little bit about Kern earlier um how that when he was one that's when um Worf and moog and mrs moog let's for want of a better <laughs> term um left to go to kittimer um and Kern was left with family friend 
And I was like, that speaks a lot about the about Klingon society, that you would leave your newborn child with a family friend while you go live on another planet or space station light years away. Mm-hmm. So um, the scene, he definitely comes aboard um, and his behaviour towards Worf, he goads him a lot. Mm-hmm. He might be, I think he's trying to, having not seen him for such a long time, he's trying to ascertain what makes him tick and if he's actually a, a true Klingon warrior. Um, yeah, but th- there's also a line in there, though, that that where someone is saying, maybe it was Riker, that Kern is being hard on everybody except Worf, who would like him to be harder on him. So he th- they're, they're actually noticing he's maybe a little bit easier on Worf than some of the others. There's the scene with Wesley... Poor Wesley, one of the <laughs> few times you feel really sorry for Wesley, where he's frantically frantically tapping at the, the helm, yeah. where Karn has given, like, set course, whatever, execute. Execute, yeah. And Wesley's going... You know what's interesting about about that, Joe? We haven't covered it on Earl Grey yet because we couldn't cover it in the deleted scenes, but there's actually, like, a little deleted part where Kern is even, like, more... Uh, harsh with him where he says execute he just says it really loud they actually cut that little part out but he's being like really hard on on Wesley really hard on Jordy really hard on Riker he's just being hard on everybody but maybe a little bit on Worf but not as much as he could be which I think is interesting maybe it hinted that he knew him there's a point where in um in Kern's room where Worf asks him if he if he means to dishonor him by being soft on him so from Worf's perspective, it's it's a little bit soft, but but I mean I think that maybe we'll see this as as we go along. But I think Kern becomes increasingly like dissatisfied and resentful and bitter toward Worf, and how Worf like has lived this other life and has these mm-hmm. these different options. I don't know. Like I I think that like however you might think that Klingons are generally portrayed, I think Kern and Worf are kind of different in in how you see them and how they react to things. Worf, I think, is is affected somewhat by, you know, being in the Federation and not doing certain things and, and Kern is just like Mr. Super Klingon or something. But then again, if you go back to like a matter of honor where you see these Klingons that are, you know, laughing and having a good time, Worf is not like the typical Klingon and maybe Kern isn't necessarily either. Maybe he's more intense than than others. I don't know. I, I see different variations. What do you guys think? I, th- I think Worf's... Um, I think we mentioned this in a previous episode. Worf has um, grown up with this kind of idealized um, mm-hmm. image of Klingons, um, having had little um, interaction with any Klingons. So that is why we never see him kind of getting drunk on blood wine or um, kind of laughing and joking around like Klingons or getting into fights a lot, just as Klingons do, because he's just he's completely um, kind of got a singular vision of like all Klingon honor. Yeah, except for a small part, I think, in Redemption where Kern is finally like, come on, loosen up and have a good time. But for the most part, you do not see that out of Worf. He's very, very serious. Yeah. I, I almost feel like there there are two like there are two sides of the Klingon spectrum, where like Kern is like very very conservative Klingon, and Worf is like really liberal Klingon because because of his experiences with the Federation. Because it's also really interesting that they haven't Worf hasn't lived on Kronos or in Federation or in Klingon territory for a long long time, and Kern still takes direction from him as the older brother. 
um, yeah. and almost like almost refuses to like questions a little, but always backs down. He's never like, no, you're the outsider here. Yeah, I think that's true because Kern wants to still hew to that tradition, even if the older brother is somebody who's hasn't been in the empire for a long time, doesn't necessarily like have the same behavior. It's just like, this is what my tradition says. And maybe he doesn't want to, but he's going to do that. I think that's, that's a good point. What do you think, Joe? Worf kind of over the, like through TNG and Deep Space Nine, Worf kind of ends up being the best Klingon that has ever been almost in terms of, I think he's been so assimilated into kind of Federation and human culture that he's taken all the best parts of both being a Klingon and being a member of the Federation. Maybe. I mean, I would actually argue that the best example of a Klingon is Martok because Mm -hmm. he kind of embodies all of that, but he can adjust and can be affected by other points of view in his way over time. But but yeah, yeah I, I think I, I would agree I, with the ahead. Martok statement too. Um, <laughs> I, I think Worf has been, it's his arc really opens his eyes about what it is to be a Klingon. Like he sees corruption, he sees, yeah. he sees lying, he sees unloyal behavior. He sees all these things that go against everything he thought Klingons were all about. Um, and I think he really, with Martok's help, he kind of turns a corner. What do I know? I don't even like Klingons yet, so don't trust my opinion. <laughs> well, let that, that may take us into the, the next pair of episodes, which is the Redemption two-parter, which is about you know, the Klingon Civil War and, and the, the Duras sisters are bringing in Romulan help to the Empire. I think something that you mentioned, uh, Pierre, is, is true. Like in Sins of the Father, he sees the corruption. Like they're doing this thing in the council so they can sweep something under the rug for another family that was really responsible for this traitorous behavior. So there's corruption at those highest levels. And then you see in Redemption that there are Klingons who are more than happy to bring in help from, you know, the Romulans or some other adversary. So, and I think that continues over time all the way into DS9, where in a way Worf has enough (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> kills Galron. But um, yeah, I, I, I think it's kind of an interesting arc because he does have this idealized view that gets kind of chipped away at in some different places. And I think redemption is is one of those those places, although he does kind of convince Kern, who isn't happy about it, to support Galron, um, even though like it, it seems like he's somebody who is kind of trying to, to keep that corruption going on and keep sweeping things under the rug um i don't know like joe what do you think about what we see of of kern in the redemption two-parter because i think he kind of goes between like being the warrior being unhappy with some of what's going on grudgingly going along with what Worf's doing i don't know it it feels like he's a in a lot of different places he's definitely stuck in this position um like between a rock and a hard place, isn't he? Um, mm-hmm. I think he recognises what's going on and that it's not good for the Klingon Empire and possibly something has to be done about it. And it maybe takes Worf to step in and say, listen, this isn't right, we have to do something. And obviously the whole the exposure of the, the Romulan involvement um, comes into play later. And I mean, this is also where you 
kind of see for the first time Worf and Kern together on a Klingon ship, like fighting the, these battles, which I think is interesting. Like, wh- what do you think about this two-parter and and Kern's involvement, Pierre? I, I think we find out that Kern is is probably a better tactician than Worf. Um, mm. Just like on the on the ship, he kind of he kind of handles himself a little better, and he's he's a little calmer. Um, so I I think Kern might be the better warrior. Um, to be honest with you, and that's kind of where where I where one thing that really resonated with me. He also makes a comment to Worf about how there's more in heart than duty um, when when they're in the bar and they're kind of drinking with the enemy. Um, but there's a lot of like contradictions. He he becomes a really interesting character with those contradictions um, because it's like he. And I'm assume, I, I believe he knows that the Doras. Well, the Doras is trying to kill him. Uh, but he's kind of willing to to side with them on this civil war at first until Worf's like, no, it needs to be the other way. Um, I think Kern doesn't know about the Romulan involvement. He just, I think, doesn't like Gowron and wants to support the other side. Right, but he knew that the Duras has tried to kill him in Sins of the Father. Uh, and yeah, the other side yeah. was the Duras. So, yeah, it was. it's really interesting. And it's, it's interesting just Klingon culture where somebody that tried to kill you might be your friend soon it seems like it's it's very much about like who can help you in the moment sometimes mm-hmm. <laughs> and i think that's part of what Worf may object to it's like whether that is honorable or not some people are looking for who can support them in the moment so yeah i'm always amazed about how insightful um people are and analytical on things because pierre you're um, mentioning things and i was like oh Okay, and then I'm now questioning if I've ever seen any episodes at all. Because like, <laughs> I think I've missed the key, more in-depth points about them. So, yeah, I mean, I I think what just like in in general, from from what I've seen, uh, you know, off more often than not, Klingons are portrayed as a warrior culture, and I think that you can either be into that or it can put you off. But I think there are all of these different like subtleties in their in their behavior and the way they act i mean it may seem like this monolithic warrior culture but the individuals i think are acting differently and behaving differently based on their motives or what the different situation is so i think we do get very like individual klingons like i wouldn't say that you know given the same situation that Worf or kern or martok or gowron any of them would like act the same way i think they would act differently as individuals based on like their history and who they know and how they are and what the situation is so like i but i think that like it's true that generally it is portrayed as this warrior culture and there needs to be other people doing other things for the society to work but i think in their society the warriors get like the most praise and importance and so that's why we see them the most often but i think within that there is a lot of individuality i think maybe if we reversed it and we saw the federation from a klingon perspective Mm -hmm. the klingons might just have an impression of the federation through starfleet and just see starfleet as being kind of odd do-gooders and explorers and try to help out so we've got we've got this uh, this kind of odd perspective on Klingons through the Klingon Defense Forces, the warrior side of it. I mean, it's a good point. Klingons just seeing the Federation through Starfleet might think that 
the Federation is a pretty monolithic culture. Like, yeah, there may be some species that look different, but they're all about, you know, the exploration and not firing first. And like, there, there's just this philosophy and that's, that's what they see. And they don't see the civilians that, that do different things or what happens back at command or all that kind of stuff. They're just seeing these ships out there that are, that from their perspective are saying that they have good intentions, but they're always suspecting it. So they may see it as its own like monolithic culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. Cause I mean, there are times where you see like the, um, the Klingon restaurant at in deep space nine yeah. <laughs> and like where there, there is other parts of that culture that kind of, that kind of exists in Klingon opera. Yeah. I always and- thought that guy looked really hot in that big white fur thing. <laughs> like the Yeti coat that he wore. It was like, <laughs> And being a chef as well, you just burn up. Uh, maybe, but I, I love that the the Klingon chef in DS Nine. But you see that you also see something like in in Suspicions, where there's the the Klingon engineer, uh, Kirok, who's kind of I think that yeah I think that's the name, uh, who's who's looking at this metaphasic shielding. So there are like little places where you see different parts of Klingon culture, and then also like I don't know if you guys have have read it, but the IKS Gorkhan novels by Keith DeCandido are pretty much purely from a Klingon perspective, and they're really excellent because they look at some of the subtleties in the Klingon defense force and the different parts of it, but they also look at different parts of the civilian society and all the different things that are going on to make the society run. It's it's really good. So, But there must be that kind of stuff going on, right? But we see the Klingons in the defense force because we're pretty much most of the time following a Starfleet ship or station, and that's who they interact with for the most part. So I think we got off on a tangent about Klingons in general, but I think that was that was pretty interesting. Um, and any other thoughts on what we see in the Redemption two-parter related to Kern? No, I mean, I guess one know. more thing is just that mm-hmm. Kern has very little time for talk and debate. He's very, very yeah. much a man of action. He wants to, he wants to go and do something. You know, it's, it's he doesn't want to sit and find out why or how or he just wants to go and do i think that's that's quite true i mean there are times when he's arguing something with Worf, but for the for the most part i think you do see him enjoy things the most when he's in a battle or in Mm -hmm. action or or something like that and you only you see that in in the redemption two-parter and sins of the father it's not so much that he's, you know, in this exchange program and they're going to the council and he gets attacked and you don't get as, as much of an opportunity for that. But I think you're right. He is more of a person of action. And we could think of Worf as that, that way as well, because he doesn't tend to say a lot, does he? No, that is true too. Joe, any other thoughts on the redemption two-parter? I don't think so. I think the second episode definitely becomes more Romulan focused. Mm -hmm. Starfleet and their tacky on detection grid try Kind of expose the Romulan involvement in this Klingon civil war. So it becomes, mm-hmm. for me, I think that's why I said previously it was kind of my favourite part when mm-hmm. we were doing the serialised Star Trek and talking about the Klingons. That was my favourite part because it was more Romulans and more Starfleet and less about the Klingons. But okay. I'm definitely yeah. going to watch these um, four episodes again and with this kind of, in, this, okay. in a new light, I suppose. Our, our job is done then. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, it can change. I, it can change. It I'm can like, change, but we're getting you to think it's about cre- it. It's so. creeping up the way. Yeah. <laughs> so let's move on actually to the last episode we'll, we'll be talking about. Now this is a deep space nine episode, sons of Moog. This is over four years after we see Kern in the, the redemption two parter. So Kern is still 
within the empire and doing his thing and we don't hear from him until Worf is on deep space nine and all of a sudden Kern shows up. So I think this is a pretty interesting episode. The only one where we see Kern on, on DS nine and we get some backstory of the kinds of things that have happened. So, you know, in the meantime on deep space nine, there's this Klingon Cardassian war and uh, Worf didn't support the, Klingons going to war against the Cardassians. So then back on Kronos, uh, the the House of Moog has basically its its land and title stripped. And, you know, Kern kind of comes to the station and he's kind of drunk and despondent. So we see a very different Kern in this. And I f- always find it to be a really sad episode because over the course of it, you know, Kern is kind of trying to figure out like what he does in this world where he's not part of the Empire Worf's still the older brother and can tell him what to do. He tries different jobs. Like, it, it doesn't work. So in the end, they have to, like, erase his memory, and he doesn't know who Worf is. So I've always found this to be, like, a pretty sad end to the, the arc for for Kern. But I'm curious, like, what you guys think this, like, tells us about his character or his interactions with, with Worf, uh, Pierre? Yeah, so I always thought of it as a sad arc, too, until I watched it yesterday. And... Mm. And I, I, I was, I guess it was the first time I was really focusing on Kern. He, he's so pained as to what the actions of Worf have meant to him, right? So I guess I'm guessing that he was running the House of Moog when, because Worf was away, um, and he, and he was really successful and things were going really well. Worf makes a decision to not support the empire against this war and now all of a sudden kern loses everything um and and that i i think as that really conservative klingon that that we talked about him being on that other end of the spectrum he just can't handle that he's like i i can't handle being this outsider in the in the empire um and and it's kind of you know he he first wants to do this ceremonial suicide which kind of gets broken up by Dax and um so at the end I kind of was thinking like this might be the best thing for Kern right like he doesn't have to go through with the suicide he's he he's with the family friend um that's going to then bring him into their their house and um so so at the end of this time watching it I kind of was like maybe maybe it's not as sad mm-hmm. maybe it's 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 worth saying I've held you back all this time by being the oldest and I have to make decisions that I have to make so I'm going to free you from this yeah, I think it, it's an interesting way to think about it. I mean, certainly when Worf is thinking about it and he's talking with Dax about it, it's it's kind of like, well, maybe the best thing for him is just to kind of start over and restore his honor in that way. But of course, you don't know where it's going to go. And again, I'll bring in the Ikea Gorkon novels because Kern as Rodek is in those novels and the arc continues. And it's actually quite interesting to see like what he does. But leaving that aside... I think you do leave it in a place where I think Worf is sad because Kern doesn't know who he is, but maybe is like, okay, maybe this is the the best thing to to do. But like also when I watch this episode, I think Cisco's really angry about like what's going on here that they're going through with this ritual and like the the cultural tolerance he has has limits and that they hit the limit. I don't know. Like is it something where Cisco should have been okay with them doing this traditional Klingon thing. What do you think, Pierre? 
I mean, so I think Picard would have been okay with it. Um, I think we really mm-hmm. see the um, the differences between Picard and Cisco, where Picard kind of always let Worf do Klingon things. Um, you know, he, yeah. he 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 gets mad at him when he kills Duras, but um, but that seemed to that could have had impacts with the Federation too. Um, but you know, he kind he lets him take a shuttlecraft to go to that Klingon festival that that yeah. one episode, and so. Um, I think we see we see a difference between the captains there, and I do. I think I don't think Cisco should have been as upset with him. Like, you know, he was practicing his culture, right? The, the, his culture says that if you lose your honor, this is a way that this is a way that you, you can commit this um, ceremonial suicide and, and regain your honor again. Um, yeah. So I don't. I, I really was confused as to why Cisco was so upset. To be honest with you. Yeah, it, maybe it gets back to something we were talking about on a previous Earl Grey episode where sometimes Cisco can be affected by his ego and what he personally thinks about something and Picard can maybe step back a little more. Not necessarily as like a criticism of Cisco. I love Cisco, but I think he can be more affected by like his personal feelings about things. And I think also to the TNG episode Ethics where Worf is is disabled and wants to kind of end his life and is asking Riker to do it and Riker refuses. I think maybe in that episode, if Riker or someone else was like, sure, I'll do it, then Picard would have been like, well, that's that's their culture. I think you might be right about that. But anyway, we've mentioned like a couple a couple of things in the episode, but your your thoughts, Joe, on Sons of Moog or the things we're talking about? Would that not be like impossible to navigate, like being, having... Like with, in terms of the Federation or being a member of Starfleet mm-hmm. um, having 150 member worlds plus yeah. people from out with the Federation how do you navigate the Starfleet rules and regulations with people's cultural beliefs and practices where's, the, where's the line do, where do you draw that line yeah, it's um, probably a difficult thing and you would think they would have to draw up something that would say here are the specific Starfleet regulations if your cultural uh, beliefs, you know, don't violate any of these, then you're good. But of course, for the Klingon culture, they're not part of the Federation, and maybe they haven't taken that into account as much or thought about it as much. Although they do talk about in the episode, you know, violating some regulation, and Cisco's like, "I don't care about the regulations. <laughs> I just don't want you to do this." But, but like, but but Joe, what do, what do you think about in the end where Kern has his memory wiped and he's going to go off? Like, was that a a good thing does that make it a not quite sad so i'm kind of confused as to mm-hmm. was it Kern's choice no no that's that's, no. that's why i thought that's what i thought and i have huge problems with that it's yeah, i it's thought a, about that a, as well it's when a violation i, I, I thought about that as well when i watched this episode it's kind of funny because like the scene before you know kern is drunk and Worf's talking with him and takes away the disruptor so he can't kill himself and i think like kern like becomes unconscious <laughs> and then and later they're in the infirmary and it's like okay um Bishir's like are you sure you want to do this but you're right they're not getting his consent and that doesn't seem right no. because I, know, I maybe suppose they- in their defense he will because of what's happened to him he will die he'll, he'll just you know, find he, some he other will, way to kill himself yeah you know? he will go off the station and they'll just find a way to do it um so they're potentially saving his life but as to save somebody's life by violating their human rights, Klingon rights, um, 
the right thing to do. I don't know that it was. He, they wiped his entire memory and gave him a new identity mm-hmm. and gave him a new family. Yeah, I mean, that maybe made it would me feel deeply uncomfortable. Yeah. No, I, I could I could definitely see that. And I was thinking, like, is it something where, like, they feel like Kern just can't make decisions for himself and as the brother, Worf has to make those decisions, but they don't really even talk about that. And I think definitely if they just explained it to Kern, like, hey, we'd like to wipe your memory. And I don't know. I mean, Kern could either be like, no, that would be terrible, or like, you're the older brother. <laughs> just go with it, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I feel like Kern might be like, that's a coward's way out and not want to, yeah. you know, not want to go with that angle. But, um, but yeah, I agree. It was at first I, so until I watched it this time, I really looked and researched it. Um, I always thought it was the family that raised Kern was who came to, came to, um, was that, that was the man who said, Hey, I'm your father. But then I realized it's a completely different person, um, different family friend. So it, yeah, it's a really interesting one. Cause we don't really, you don't see, um, Bashir going, going through any um, dilemma between it or anything. He kind of is just like very on the periphery. Okay. Yeah, you would think Bashir would be like, wait a minute, we didn't get... Because Bashir and most Starfleet doctors are usually, you know, very much want to talk about the ethical questions. Like, are you sure this is the right thing to do? But in this case, they had a couple minutes left in the episode and it's like, want to do it? Okay. (laughs) And he just does it. So... Because, like, you've seen different parts of Star Trek where people's memories get wiped, but let, let's say an example like Pen Pals and TNG, that's for, like, a prime directive kind of question. I mean, they're mm-hmm. not getting this person's consent to wipe the memories, but they think that has to be done to avoid cultural contamination. But in this case, it's purely because Worf thinks it's the best way to go. It's not because of some larger question, right? Right. Yeah, like, and I think what's interesting about this episode as well is you you see very much Kern's like resentment and bitterness that Worf, you know, it it can't be a part of the empire, but at least he has Starfleet. At least he has something. And Kern just like has nothing. He can't, I think he can't even conceive that he's out of the empire. He's out of the Klingon defense force. Like what else could you possibly do? (laughs) So that's, that's why I mean, like I feel the episode is sad because there's, the way that Tony Todd plays Kern in this, I think it's different from Sins of the Father where it's like, you know, he's this stern guy or or different from Redemption where he's in battle. This is just kind of like someone who's resigned and sad about about his fate like through the the episode. And I think it's played very, very well, but it just gives the episode a very different feeling, even if maybe Pierre there is like a little hopefulness that he has a new identity and something new to go to. Yeah, yeah, he he also at one point when he's in the infirmary, he says, um, he tells Worf he never understood him. And then he says, um, but you in your own way are a very honorable man. Now, I, mm-hmm. I wonder if because that was when he was still saying, I understand that you were it was stopped. The, the ritual was stopped. But why aren't you here to finish it? I wonder. And he says the honorable man part after. I wonder if he's then kind of almost telling Worf that 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 he's in charge like I will I will do whatever you think is best it could be I mean I think he's giving him like after talking about all this bitterness and resentment he's giving him a certain kind of compliment like based on 
your life and the way that you think about things, you're doing things in an honorable way. I might not disagree. I might not agree that that's an honorable way, but according to your code of ethics, you're being honorable. And like, I think at the end, he can kind of respect that. And it's a certain kind of piece, although then he just like falls unconscious. So right. it's, a, it's a little weird. But what do you think, Joe? I felt that, I think it was a bit, maybe a bit of a stroke of genius where they had Kern in the Bajoran security uniform. Yeah. Um, now you were talking about him it just being kind of a sad storyline, this fall from grace because of Worf's decision making. Um, they found that he had nothing and nowhere to go to. So he took this job that he didn't really want as a, a Deep Space Nine security officer. And just to have him in that kind of grey, beige uniform, yeah. um, in contrast to his Klingon kind of armour uniform, um, yeah. it, just, it just compounded that feeling of sadness. It's like, not sad as in... Um, like a like a deep depression almost like this is just this isn't fair what's happening to him mm. i mean in a way those those uniforms have kind of more muted or or drab colors and it kind of reflects that as well doesn't it yeah exactly and then there's a bit at the end where he he, he awakes as was his name rodek rodan yeah rodek rodek yeah rodan's the monster <laughs> from godzilla um yeah, and he says to Worf, like, who are you? And Worf says, oh, I'm just a... What is it he says? A, a he family say, friend? He, well, or? He, well, no, he asked, I think he... He, he asks yeah. Worf, are you my family too? And Worf says, I have no family. That That's just yeah. sad as well, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I'm try- I know we can't judge them in our human ways because they're Klingons so they don't behave or react in the same way we do to kind of family issues. But if that was me and my brother, I would be a mess. Yeah. I Yeah, I would be beside myself. Yeah, I mean, and, and Worf just has to be kind of... And like, what I think is interesting about the episode, I think it's it's well done because he says, I have no family, you know, Kern as Rodak walks out. And then Worf walks out as well, and you see him walking out onto the promenade, and then there's kind of like a long shot of everything that's going on. It just kind of compounds that feeling of loneliness, mm-hmm. that Worf is really alone. Like, you had seen him some years before, like, okay, now he's getting to to know um, his family, his his brother, but then he's like, I have no family. Of course, thinking about that, he's saying it in terms of Kern, but like, Alexander's still around, and, and you know, his step-parents are still around, so it's maybe a little bit weird for him to say that because he does have family, right? But they're elsewhere. Right. Uh, true, yeah. Um, why Why did he say that? Was it was that a mistake? Was that a scripting error? Um, because he does have his human parents. And he has Alexander, who's Yeah, off, exactly. I guess at this point, maybe in the Klingon Defense Forces. but And he um, has Nikolai, too. Of course. Yeah, and there's Nikolai off doing his thing, right? So... Like, and there's yeah. the Enterprise crew as well. There is family. Uh, yeah, because after this, he had to go off and do a couple movies with them, right? <laughs> so he sees them again. But but no, like it, I actually hadn't thought about it much, whether that's just... I, I tend to think it isn't a mistake that they knew he had other family, but that's how he was feeling in that moment. Like, you were here as my family, and I have no family because you don't know me. And all of the people who would be considered my family are elsewhere. They're not here. Like, I have no family here, I think maybe is what he's saying. And he's, like, lonely there. 
Because if somebody responded to that question to me, like, oh, I have no family, you, that begs the question, like, wait, what? You don't have any family? Why? Why? Are they all dead? I, well, and it also depends on how you define it, right? Because, like, mm-hmm. me personally, I don't actually, like, know a lot of my, like, blood relatives. But I consider that I have, you know, family. I, I have friends that I would consider to be family. I have my wife's family that I consider to be family. So, like, it is weird to just say I have no family because you can consider that in a lot of different ways. And Worf is kind of new to, to Deep Space Nine, but I think over the years that kind of becomes... Maybe a little bit of his family, although maybe he's more distant. I don't know. You're making me think about this line a lot more than I thought, thought about it before. Well, Jadzia definitely becomes his family on Deep Space Nine. Like She she does. Yeah. And it's interesting in this episode that it opens with him having like this Batleth fight in, in the hollow suite with Jadzia. And there's, you know, the spark of, you know, what would happen in a couple of years. So that's true as well. So and then always, does Worf, no, sorry, does, does Worf not... And become part of Martok's family. He does, yes. Because uh, so Martok's wife this. has to come and evaluate <laughs> Jadzia. Yeah, that's right. I mean, so you've literally after... got the biggest family I've ever heard of. <laughs> I have maybe no family. For, Nonsense. Except, maybe except for Data, he and, has a big family. And I always thought of um, O'Brien being part of Worf's family because O'Brien and Worf have gone mm-hmm. did a lot together. He, you know, mm. he delivered O'Brien's child. Of course, that is true. That is true, and they've known each other for like eight years or something like that. So, yeah, true. And if Worf and O'Brien are family, then um, <laughs> Kira and Worf must be family because Kira carried yeah. O'Brien's baby. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I know. It's a quite an extended family. It's like no degrees of freedom. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I had no idea this would go here. Pierre, we'll have you go first with your final thoughts. You know, I think Kern is a very interesting character. He, um, he, he's one of those characters that kind of he lasts a long time on Trek. Um, you know, from early um, TNG through through DS Nine, um, and when we when we look at th- that arc that he goes through from from being this proud warrior to being to being a broken man, um, you you look and you see that there's constants and his constants are definitely him being the younger brother of Worf and letting Worf make decisions for him. Um, so that's kind of, you know, when you think of it that way, when you're at the end of his, at the end of his arc, he kind of, that happens again, where Worf just makes, where Worf makes decisions for him. And maybe that's what Kern would be okay with. You know, I know he, he asked his brother for this ceremonial suicide, um, but ultimately, at the end, Worf decides something different. And you know, the, when we look at what Kern's character was, you know, maybe, maybe that's what Kern wants. He just wants his older brother to tell him what to do. Okay. One more question, just that came, popped up in my head: If it were possible, would you be interested in seeing uh, Tony Todd play Kern again in the Picard series or something else? <laughs> like, oh, absolutely! Just swinging by, yeah. <laughs> That would be fun to bring him I just back. Had that, I just had that thought because today, as we record this, listeners, it's the day of the big San Diego Comic-Con panel where I think we're finally going to find out a lot about the Picard series. And, well, they only have 10 episodes for the first season. There's only so much they can do. But my my head just kind of goes around with the different things they can do. Um, okay, excellent, Pierre. So 
Joe, your final thoughts and whether we've convinced you to take another look at Kern and Klingons. Uh, uh, I, okay, so I, still the problems exist still for me that I see Klingons as this monolithic culture um, who are too focused on being warriors. However, Pierre, you have done a very good job of um, explaining or describing Kern as this more fully rounded three-dimensional character rather than just this kind of archetypal Klingon that we I have become accustomed to so uh, and I think it maybe previously came came up in the serialized TNG that we did that these episodes sins of the father um redemption are like a multi-part mm-hmm. episode spread over a number of seasons um so again with that with what you've said Pierre with this discussion yes I'm getting Klingons a bit more Um, and I think with anything to have more information and have more knowledge about something it can make you appreciate it more so I'm quite open to appreciating Klingons in the future Okay, how's that does that work for you yeah, that sounds good. I mean, that's what Trek's all about, right? An open mind? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Nothing if not open-minded. A, a, a little side note, Joe. So I'm curious, do you have a favorite Klingon episode? Is there an episode that's centered on Klingons where you're like, normally I'm not as much into this, but I really like this episode? Oh, um, <laughs> Put you on the spot. Okay. Um were what's well, sacrifice sac- no not sacrifice of age. the one the Klingons attacked Deep Space Nine the way of the warrior the way of the was that oh that's mm-hmm. where Worf arrives that's where Worf comes yeah. in it's the big, um, yeah yeah I think that but purely that's just the kid in me that likes the big explosions and the battle okay. scenes <laughs> It is a pretty reason. amazing episode. I mean, it has yeah. battles and it has character development and a bunch of stuff in it. So, uh-huh. Also, okay. the one, if we're thinking about character development, then the one where they've all been captured by the Dominion mm-hmm. and Worf has to fight all the Jem'Hadar soldiers and literally just does not give up. He's got broken ribs and... He's like, if it was anybody else, they'd be long dead. But he fights and fights and fights. Um, and there's a lot in there about Martok as well, because Martok's been captured. Um, so, yeah. For character development, I would say... I can't remember what that episode's called now. I think it's part of the season five two-parter. It, I think it's either in Purgatory Shadow or by Inferno's Light, I think. Uh, Both yeah. sound very biblical. Yeah, I th- I think that could be right. I'm I'm only taking a I I yeah actually I think that's I think the one where he does the fighting is by Inferno's light. But I think that's quite interesting, Joe, because mm-hmm. that's one where it's like Worf as the like ultimate like warrior mm. mold where he just will not give up to the point where the Gem Hadar is like I cannot actually defeat him which is something hard for a gem hadar to say so yeah that's quite interesting okay so hey i got you to talk about and i'm glad that we have made you want to take another looks and that it wasn't torture for you so that's good no no it was it was enjoyable okay so for my final thoughts um i think that you know i've always really enjoyed uh klingon characters um in star trek 
and in all the different different iterations, but probably especially the TNG era. And I find Worf to be fascinating. I think Kern is pretty fascinating. I actually wish that we would have maybe seen Kern a little bit more because mm-hmm. as we've seen there, there was this three-dimensional aspect where he'd be different in different episodes and different situations. But I would have liked to maybe see a little bit more of that or maybe even something like, let's say uh, Kern has his memory wiped but he can still like work on Deep Space Nine and he is a Klingon that is okay with that. And you see him on DS9 going through these different situations. I don't know. I would have liked to see him more is <laughs> all it is, I guess. So I think it's, um, you know, Pierre, I've had this on the list for a while because we hadn't done a character profile on Kern on, on Earl Grey. And I think it was a great discussion. So we really appreciate you bringing this to us. I think there was lots of great stuff to talk about and insights. I love when we can just talk about one character or set of episodes and see what we think about it. And listeners, let us know what you think about Kern and these episodes that he's in. So, Pierre, thanks so much for being on Earl Grey today. Thank you. And let our listeners know where they can find you online. Yeah, so I'm, I'm on the Babel Conference. Um, so I'm always there talking about Trek stuff. Um, and then I'm on Twitter. My Twitter is at P-L-A-R-O-C-C-O-2-1. So I'm also on Twitter. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, listeners. So this is where we usually talk about a preview of next week's episode, but we'll actually be off next week because we'll be preparing for Star Trek Las Vegas. In fact, this episode is scheduled to drop on July 30th. So listeners, if you hear this and you're at Star Trek Las Vegas, be sure to contact us or find us because me and Joe and Amy will be there for Star Trek Las Vegas. And if you're there, we'd love to meet you. Right, Joe? Oh, absolutely. Um, I can't wait. It's going to be so exciting. If you all notice me because I will pretty much be in a scan each of the days of the convention. Yeah. Nice. I've got a series of them coming. (laughs) Um, And I guess I should mention, so you and Amy are there for the full five days? I'm there for 10 days. So, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> okay. When you come so, this far, you have to really have to, yeah, just go whole hog, make a whole vacation. Well, well, for me, the last couple of years, I've been there for five days. I'm going to be there for three days this year. So, sorry about that. It STLB becomes expensive. Had to, to make it a little bit more cost effective this year. But I will still be there. So, I'll be there Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But, like, if you want to see Joe or Amy Wednesday through Sunday or even like before Wednesday for Joe, apparently, <laughs> you can meet up. So, we'd love to see you there. And also, so that means that we're planning to record an episode at Star Trek Las Vegas to talk about our thoughts for there and then to release that uh, two weeks from the time this airs. So, just wanted to let you listeners know what's coming up, and we do hope to see you at Star Trek Las Vegas. All right, well, it's been so much fun talking about Kern today and enlightening Joe, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.fm, Literary Treks. But in this case, I like the character in the fact that she's a counselor and a Vulcan, because when you go to a counselor, most of the time it's about your emotions or dealing with your emotions. So how ironic it is that a Vulcan is the person you go to to figure out how to deal with emotional issues mm-hmm. from a non-emotional person. Earl Grey. Episodic TV is really good for watching in bed before you go to sleep because you can go to bed, watch a little 45-minute episode, and by the end you're almost asleep. So it's, it's like a, a nice little comfort blanket. You're saying Star Trek puts you to sleep? 
Yeah, <laughs> yes, actually, yes. Um, even though I love it, it does. If I didn't have it on the background, I probably wouldn't sleep because I've become so used to it. Interesting. Being on. So it's like a, a soothing presence. Oh yeah, it's that background noise of life. Star Trek, the hum of the the warp drive. The ready room. Do you feel like there are too many of these arcs, too many of these threads running through a 14-episode season? And I ask that because one of the more interesting stories to me, apart from the Red Angel, the big story, is the stamets Culber story. Mm-hmm. And I think that both the actors, Wilson Cruz and Anthony Rapp, have done an amazing job of portraying this story The chemistry between them feels so real, and I've really connected with the emotions behind this story, but I feel shortchanged. I feel like we're only dipping in here and there Mm -hmm. just enough to remind us that that story is going on, whereas I would like to see it develop more, and I feel like maybe they're just trying to do too much in too little time. Warp 5. But I think Brandon's right. You can jump to bound and have the same thing. Yeah, you can jump to bound and have the same thing. Because you could have him say, I want to leave, then find his replacement. Whatever, whatever happens in between, now he decides to stay and there's a problem because this guy wants to stay. Which plays out all in bound. Correct. So I think I'm not going to be able to drive Brandon as crazy as I want to. I will say no. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favourite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad or Apple TV or the desktop iTunes app and get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review that helps others to find the show. And if you leave that star rating and written review before August 31st, you can be in with a chance of winning our Star Trek collectible cards. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube, Windows Phone, and most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. So, Joe, you want a bonus question? <gasps> it's my favorite part of podcasting, <laughs> Justin's love bonus that. questions. I love how you're still excited about it. We should have, there should be a jingle, I think. Are we are we theme tune the Justin's bonus question <laughs> round? You could ask one too if you want. But uh, so here's my bonus question. I know Klingons are not your favorite. What is your okay. favorite species? What is your favorite species in Star Trek? Oh, do you know what? It has to be Kelpian just now. Kelpian. Hmm. Yeah, I just I love Doug Jones. Out of all the conventions that we've been to, um, you get kind of immune to being starstruck when you see mm. like seeing Marina Sirtis it's like oh it's Marina who oh, cares geez. don't I know, make it sound no, like it's that not, it's, but you become immune you're like oh look yeah. there's there's Nicole DeBoer saying hello to me that's fine I'm, it's okay I'm okay with you, that okay you get you get used to it because they are regular people you know yes yeah. well that's true and you initially when you do it you don't think that they are regular people 
Um, okay. But it turns out they actually are. Doug Jones, on the other hand, um, STLV last year, I he was just standing in the middle of the floor and I went up to say hello and I lost emotional containment. Really? I, yeah, seriously, I was like... There was tears. I I couldn't form words. Did, did he give you a hug? I know he likes to do he, that. He did, <laughs> but with his hands on my face. <laughs> oh right! It, I think I've seen the picture actually. Yeah, it was, and it wasn't weird in any way. It was just how he is, and he's just. I'm quite convinced that the way he behaves in real life is the way that he is as a human being. He's just this mm. beautifully spirited person, and I really appreciated oh, that. Wow. Okay, and because of that, you like the Kelpians the most. Yeah, oh, the, yeah, that was a question, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, Kelpians, definitely. I just like the way they, I know they're humanoid, but mm-hmm. they, like the way Doug Jones has the walk down, and they've got, the, they must yeah. have, like, hoof-like feet, because he's yeah. got those weird non-heeled shoes that he walks in. I still want to so, see the hoof feet, maybe in season three. Maybe. <laughs> um, so I kind of, I just... I like the fact that while they are still humanoid, they look more alien than what we've okay. seen before. Okay, very cool. Well, for me, my favorite species is the Bajorans. And, you know, part of it's because I, I love DS9. I've, I know we podcast about TNG, but I've said it before, DS9 is my favorite Star Trek mm-hmm. series. <clears throat> and, mine too. Yeah. And, and I mean, by just a little bit, because I love TNG as well, but... But like I and and I love that you get to dive so deeply into the Bajoran culture. Kira is my favorite uh, character in Star Trek and all of Star Trek, and I just love, like I I wouldn't I don't really believe in an organized religion, but I love the Bajoran religion and how it's portrayed respectfully and like all of their history and culture and struggles. And I love Ro as well; she's one of my favorite characters. So it's the Bajorans for me, even though I love so many species in Star Trek. That's that's it. So. Yeah, you've got a lot with that choice. You've got a lot more um, kind of background on Background them. so far, yeah. And I've got less with the Kelpians. <laughs> but that's cool. So. I like your choice. I like the Kelpians a lot. All right. Well, if you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us, and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. So, Joe, where can people find you when you're not reevaluating what you think about Klingons and Star Trek? Well, as usual, you can get me on the Babel Conference. I'll be lurking around there somewhere. Or you can tweet me, yeah. Tweet me on the Twitter, yeah. I'm still not used to using Twitter. I don't understand what it is right yet, really. Um, you can get me there at joejoe77uk. Or, as people have been increasingly doing, you can email me, joepodcasts at gmail.com. Um, and people have been really nice with their feedback on my first few um, oh, co-hosting that's, that's great to hear. It's and maybe fun. you'll get an email in Czech or Hungarian. <gasps> I'll have to Google Translate it and hope, <laughs> hopefully it doesn't insult That'd my family. That would be awesome. Yeah. That would be awesome. And Justin, where can people contact you when you're not having your memory erased and being assigned to a new family unit? Who am I? Are you my family? Yes, I am <laughs> your dad and your name is <laughs> Amy Nelson. Oh, God. Wow. 
listeners who've listened this far, this is very bizarre. <laughs> yes. Oh, off. wait, wait. I've gotten my memory back. I know who uh, I am. And that Justin was really Ozer. weird, Joe. Yeah, I'm Justin nice. Ozer. Well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. And you can find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take this opportunity to recognise our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Justin Ozer, Michael Huter, Thomas Appel, Chris Tribuzio, Jim McMahon and me, Joe Keegan. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and especially Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Klingons are cool. Because I'm sure listeners have missed this with Richard no longer being a co-host. Today is a good day to die! That was pretty good, Justin. <laughs> I tried. I think was... I burned out my vocal cords, but... <laughs> that was good. I like that. I'm convinced that I want to die now. <laughs> <laughs>